Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together on this Thursday, July 28th, year of our King Jesus 2022. Glad that you're with us. So Isaiah is a fascinating book, isn't it? And we are getting close to uh, some really, really interesting uh, passages. Uh, more and more, we're, we're heading toward those places in Isaiah that you probably know because they're more quoted in the New Testament. And uh, you're going to find, you're going to find some fascinating things, such as this uh, passage in Isaiah 65. So uh, those of you who've been tracking along with us know that uh, Brother Martin, who I only just met online here uh, some time ago uh, through this study, he's been uh, trying to convert me to a full-on post-millennialist, or at least get me to take the label. I'm, uh, he calls me a closet post-millennialist, and he sent me a message asking my opinion or my, my interpretation of uh, this passage in Isaiah 65. So I'm not going to answer his question, but uh, this is this is all where we're heading. We're only in chapter 21 now, but we're we're getting to some fascinating passages. We've got the servant songs coming up. Of course, we've got Isaiah 53 coming up, the uh, the suffering servant, and then more and more of those statements that that uh, transitioned from uh, immediate judgment on Jerusalem and Judah two broader things. And and eventually we've got to deal with this passage. Here's what it says. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. Think about that. In this vision that Isaiah sees, there's going to be a time when in the city, there will be no infants that only live for a short period of time. Interestingly, just before I came on uh, the broadcast here, uh, my wife showed me a, a foot monitor that uh, they've made for babies that uh, they can wear through the night. I assume it. Uh, I didn't get a chance to look at it with too much depth, but apparently it syncs up with your phone kind of thing and alerts you if the baby stops breathing or has other issues. Uh, it's just the next level of, uh, of being able to monitor and care for these infants. Is that the kind of thing that's going to allow this sort of uh, fulfillment? There'll no longer be an infant who only lives a few days? I don't know, maybe. Nor will there be an old man who does not live out his days. Interesting. For the youth will die at the age of 100. And the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. Now, you can see why somebody like my uh, new friend Martin would would say this is clearly a post-millennial passage. uh, Because you've got people dying. And by the way, this is all in the context of new heavens and new earth, as, as we will see. So if this is the new heavens and new earth, the way we tend to think of it as the next age then how do we explain that there are people dying? It's a fair question. Um, Of course, some people would come back and say, if it's a new heavens and new earth, then it's not this heavens and this earth, right? So anyway, 
Uh, Martin, I'm not going to answer your question now. We're going to wait. You have to be patient, my brother, until we get there. But the point is, I wanted you to see where Isaiah is fascinating. We're only in chapter 21, and there is so much left to cover that's going to be very, very interesting to us. The passage before us today is somewhat of a transitional passage. It's a, We've got two small oracles to look at, and they're not particularly... Um, impacting or profound in, in some ways, I, uh, as you'll see when we get to them. But I, I want to just take a moment here at the beginning and see the landscape that we have we have looked at. Look at our, our two brief oracles today and then begin this transition to some, uh, some interesting things. So we started chapters 1 through 5, Isaiah 1 through 5. If you recall, we sort of looked at this as the prelude, as the the overview. Uh, there, God describes Judah and its wickedness, its rebellion, and He uses very vivid, vivid imagery of uh, of Judah being bruised up and down his body, wounded. He's taken a beating, and there's nowhere left to strike on his person, and that's. God saying, I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to make your city desolate. And there's not much more I can do to you to punish you. And yet you still are unrighteous and unholy. And in that same opening chapters, he describes Judah as the, the vineyard. Remember, we looked at that and God says, look, I protected you. I, I cultivated you. I planted good seed there. I watered you. I did. I give you every possible means by which to bear fruit and you're not bearing fruit and and therefore I'm going to tear it all up and burn it all down. And yet right away in chapter 2 we had those brief ver- uh, vi- uh, verses the vision of Zion the mountain on which is the house of the Lord rising up over the top of all of the other mountains and hills and the word of God going out from Mount Zion and all the nations streaming to Mount Zion. And as we walked through all that, we we saw this is just a synopsis of everything we're going to see in the book of Isaiah. Then we have chapter six, which is Isaiah's call to ministry, that, that glorious vision that he saw of the Lord on his throne in the temple. And then the response, God says, who will, who will go for us? And, and Isaiah says, I'll go, send me. So it's Isaiah's call to his prophetic ministry. And remember what he was told about his prophetic ministry. You are going to go to a people who have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears but they can't hear. And I'm sending you, God says to Isaiah, I'm sending you to this people to preach truth, to reveal to them what is coming, to reveal judgment, to reveal the only hope of repentance, uh, to lay out the desolation and devastation, but also the coming Messiah. Tell them all of this so that they won't respond. So that though they do have eyes to see, that they won't see clearly. They, they have minds to understand, but they're not going to comprehend the message. Isaiah's mission 
was largely one of hardening Israel and preventing them from repenting. Pretty, pretty sobering and, uh, and hard calling. That was, that was chapter 6. And then in 7 through 11, and actually into chapter 12, we have this back and forth between the, uh, the, the near term, the coming judgment on Judah and the child who will be born, the son who will be given, the Messiah, the one who will be filled with the spirit of the Lord and the seven spirits of the Lord will rest on him and he will judge and he will rule with righteousness and justice. And, and remember the, the belt and his, his, uh, his, his uniform will be righteousness and faithfulness, those kinds of things. And he will, he will lead into justice and prosperity and that, and that sort of thing. And yet that's in the context of darkness and gloom for the Jews, for God's people. Uh, God sent Isaiah to Ahaz, the king, the uh, son of David, who was on the throne of Judah and, and gave, called him to, to ask for a sign and Ahaz didn't want a sign. No, 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 I don't, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. And that's when God gives the, the sign of Emmanuel, the virgin who gives birth to Emmanuel. And then he sort of is done with Ahaz at that point and turns to the broader message. And that is 7 through 11. This judgment's coming on Judah, and yet there's hope. The Messiah's coming. The, the, there's one coming, this king. Then starting in chapter 13 through the first part of 21 that we looked at yesterday, um, we've got these different oracles of different nations. So it's not just Judah or even Israel, the, the northern and southern kingdom, but it's Babylon and Egypt and Assyria and Moab and Philistia and so on. And, and you have these, these various uh, nations that are also going to receive God's judgment. Which is interesting to think about as we, as we just step back. Do you remember back in, uh, in Genesis when God takes Abraham and he shows him all the land north, east, south, and west of him and says, this is the land I'm promising to you and your descendants? And he, he gives them the forecast. That this is what's going to happen. Uh, you, Abraham, are, are not going to occupy this land soon. Your, your descendants are not going to occupy it in the near term. They're going to go to another land where they will be slaves for 400 years. And we know that that's Egypt. One of the reasons he gives for that is that the nation that now occupies the promised land, the Amorites, the measure of their sin is not yet full. Uh, full. The, the cup of their sin is not yet full. So simultaneously, God is taking his people to Egypt, enslaving them to Pharaoh, setting up this great deliverance with Moses, the Ten Plagues, the Red Sea, all of that, which, which shows his power and, uh, as we've talked about recently, becomes the predominant metaphor for God's new covenant salvation, rescue, deliverance from slavery, and all that. So God is simultaneously setting up Israel to experience that redemption, and he is allowing 
the occupants of the of Canaan's land, the promised land, to continue to grow in their wickedness so that when he brings Israel to conquer Canaan's land under the leadership of Joshua, God is both saving his people Israel and judging the wicked Amorites who for hundreds of years have really effectively learned the art of idolatry, gross and heinous sexual sin, and so on. He let them continue to live and and rule in their in the, in the Canaan's land until he decided it was time to use Israel to to punish them. Fascinating, right? God is the Lord of history and he and everything is part of his plan. He's working it all out. And he's not ignorant. He doesn't turn a blind eye to wickedness. But he's got his timing. So that's what we see here in Isaiah as God is moving toward the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC. We've already seen uh, Assyria and their dominance over the northern kingdom in Israel. And Isaiah prophesied of that a little bit, but he spends most of his time prophesying about the fall of Jerusalem in 586. And that's what we're going to see more and more as we get through Isaiah, that being the predominant theme with also a view to longer term future uh, with the coming Messiah. As Assyria and then Babylon comes to conquer Judah, they also conquer all the other nations around. There's lots of wars, lots of fighting, kingdoms against kingdoms. And this is part of what we saw yesterday. We're going to see it in our two brief oracles to look at today. So it's just fascinating to me to think about that God is always at work. He's always seeing what's going on. The Lord Jesus today is working out his purposes for his kingdom, uh, even through all that's going on in every nation on planet Earth. And, and no nation is getting away with it. Uh, when he decides to judge, he will judge. And of course, there are various kinds of judgment, right? There's giving over to wickedness, but then he also brings a nation against a nation to, to be his instrument of, of um, punishment. So as we look at these two oracles today, that we're, we're not seeing the future hope so much. We're not seeing, this is not centered on Judah. It's just a couple of visions that Isaiah saw regarding a, a couple of people groups that are experiencing the hardship of nations at war, which is working toward God's judgment of Jerusalem and Judah. So let's look at it. Isaiah 21, 11. The oracle concerning Edom. We'll come back to that name Edom here in a moment. One keeps calling to me, from Sire, watchman, how far gone is the night? Watchman, how far gone is the night? The watchman says, morning comes, but also the night. If you would inquire, inquire, come back again. And that's it. <laughs> that's this, this oracle uh, concerning Edom. Now, um, you can feel the weight of this, can't you? 
the, these people in Sire are experiencing the, the pains, the struggles, the, uh, the casualties of war. Homes are being destroyed. Friends, family members are dying. People are being driven away from their homeland. They hear the reports of, of Assyria or any, you know, the other nations as, as Babylon fights back. We saw this yesterday um, as Philistia enters the fray. You hear all the reports of, of all of these nations at war and, and the conquering kings. And, and the question is, how long? How long? So Isaiah has this vision of, of this one from Edom, from the uh, sire in Edom, and just asking the watchman, which ties us back to what we saw yesterday, uh, asking the watchman, how far gone is the night? How, how far into this dark period, this, this time of war, how far are we? How far gone is the night? Is, is it going to be dawn soon? Is there any glimpse of the sun in the east? And the watchman says, oh, morning comes, but also the night. So the, there is morning coming, but there's night coming too. We are not there yet. It's in the midst of it. And he says, you keep asking, keep inquiring, and come back again because morning does come. But right now it's nightfall. So it's not going to be over soon. See that? I told you I was going to come back to the to the Edom. So this uh, this is interesting because the Edom is not actually the Hebrew here. The Greek translation, what we call the Septuagint, the Greek Septuagint, uh, the, the Greek translation here has Edom, but the uh, the Hebrew has Duma, not Edom. The oracle concerning Duma. Now Duma was a city in Edom, but it means silence. So just kind of interesting that what Isaiah said here is the oracle concerning silence makes you wonder, is he referring to this town in Edom? Or is he talking about this oracle concerning silence because it's dark and it's quiet and there's fear and this longing for deliverance. And that's why he calls out to the watchman, how far gone is the night? Just interesting. Uh, maybe a play on words, you know, it could be both. That he chose this, uh, this city Duma because it also means silence. I, again, I can't help but think about some of the folks that uh, are going through this now. Uh, we think of Ukraine and Russia. We know there are people dying on both sides. And, um, and just, you can imagine some of the, uh, the families are not engaged politically or as soldiers and just wondering how much longer is this going to go on? And, and there are other wars going on in the world and you can, you can envision someone saying, how long, how long, when, when are we going to get some relief and the sun come out again? So then we have this next little, uh, Oracle in, uh, 21, starting verse 13, the oracle about Arabia. In the thickets of Arabia, you must spend the night, O caravans of the Dedanites. Bring water for the thirsty, O inhabitants of the land of Tima. 
Meet the fugitive with bread. For they have fled from the swords, from the drawn sword, from the bent bow, and from the press of battle. For thus says the Lord to me, In a year, as a hired man would count it, all the splendor of Kedar will terminate, and the remainder of the number of bowmen, the mighty men of the sons of Kedar, will be few. Why? For the Lord God of Israel has spoken. Again, it's a little interesting uh, the way the NAS translates this uh, at the beginning, the oracle about Arabia. In the Hebrew and the Greek, it's, uh, it's actually the oracle in the Arabia area. So it's more about the Arabs than it is about this, the nation Arabia. And the uh, Septuagint actually emphasizes the idea of evening here. So to, again, it's kind of pulling away from an exclusive people group and more the evening, they're, they're tired, the sun is going down. So just, just interesting, some of the word choice from Isaiah uh, to describe this. So it's a little vague, a little more vague than, than maybe the oracle concerning Babylon or Moab or whatever. And it almost... The, the idea of silence and evening almost conjures up a, a less specific people, but more just describing what it's like for all of these nations as God brings the Assyrians to conquer all of these lands. And they're all suffering. They're all longing for the morning. And here, uh, God says, you got to spend the night out at your refugees. Your, send caravans, send water. Somebody go out and meet these people because they've had to flee their homes. They're hungry. They're thirsty. Uh, they have tried to flee from, from the battleground. And, and yet, within a year, uh, they're going to they're gonna suffer and uh, some of the, these folks are going to be dead. Uh, a year as a hired man would count it. Uh, that, that's a way of describing a very specific, this, this is going to be exactly a year. Uh, if you're hired, right, if you are paid annually, then you're going to keep track of years. Uh, just like if you're paid monthly or biweekly or whatever, you're going to keep track of that period of time because you want to get your money. Well, the hired man would count a year by a year, not roughly a year. Uh, not five years, not 10 years, but one year, right? And that's what he's saying. Within a year, this is going to happen. So again, in, the, in these oracles, we get a little glimpse of what it was like for these, um, uh, for these other nations who are just experiencing, it's not really collateral damage, but it's, it, 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 it is in the story from one perspective because God's, God ultimately is heading toward punishing Judah, but he's also taking this opportunity to punish many other nations, which leads us to the transition to where we're heading. So tomorrow, we will see more focus on Judah again and Jerusalem, and we get to this famous passage about the Valley of Vision. You may be familiar with the, uh, the Puritan prayer book called the Valley of Vision, which is very popular. A lot of people use it as sort of a prayer guide. Well, it's taken from this Isaiah 22, and starting tomorrow, we will dig into that prophecy for Jerusalem. And then after that, we get to the, the oracle about Tyre, Tyre and Sidon, T-Y-R-E, the oracle of Tyre, which 
is fascinating. It's long and it gets into, we have the passage coming up in that section about the, uh, where death is swallowed up that Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians 15, describing uh, the resurrection. And it just sort of plops there in this, uh, this passage in Isaiah 25. So it's, uh, we're heading to some, some interesting stretches here and more familiar stretches. And it's going to be fascinating to compare what we already know how these things are quoted in the New Testament, and yet keeping them within their context as well. So that's where we're heading. Uh, read ahead if you'd like, and uh, Lord willing, we will come back tomorrow and uh, pick up with the Valley of Vision. Have a great day in the Lord, everyone. We will see you tomorrow.